All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We're wrapping up the week. Man, it has been a full week. I, I don't want to say like we're not making progress, but man, we're only on Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10. And Kevin, it doesn't even feel like he's engaging the people yet. All it feels like is that God is downloading to Ezekiel, one of the major prophets, consistent word of judgment and destruction coming. That's it. He is either sitting on the river or he's up in heaven receiving these visions. But either way, that's all he's receiving. And they're not going to listen. And they're not going to listen. He paints an incredible picture. He really is a, a, a prophet that speaks with parables. But it doesn't matter. Nobody's getting this. And so in Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10, uh, really what you get in 8 and 9 is really nothing different. I'm going to go through it just a little bit, and then we'll get into Ezekiel 10. But in Ezekiel 8, what you see is, is that you see this. there's a vision of, of the glory. Okay, I think this is a cool picture, but yet you're going to see, uh, and I think this is an easy way to put it, J. Vernon McGee says, a temple defilement because of idolatry. So there's this image of the temple. So it says in, in verse 2, Kevin, if you'd go there, um, actually, I, you should start in verse 1, because I think this is important. Because remember when we started off earlier on, Ezekiel was instructed to stay in his house? That's what you see in Ezekiel 8.1. It says, in the sixth year of the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house, there he is, and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me. And there the hand of the Lord came down on me. Verse 2. I looked and there was a form that had the appearance of a man. From what seemed to be his waist down was fire. From his waist up was something that looked bright like the gleam of amber. Verse 3. Scripture says, He stretched out what appeared to be a hand, took me by the hair of my head. <laughs> then the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven carried me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the inner gate that faces north, where the offensive statue that provokes jealousy was located. All right, let's finish out in verse 4. I saw the glory of, of the God of Israel there, like the vision I had seen in the plain. Do you remember this? Remember, God takes him to a plain. But I even want to back up, Kevin, before this. When you go to Ezekiel 1, and there you have in verse 25, it says this, Ezekiel 1, 25, a voice came from above the expanse over their heads. So this was the quote-unquote person above the cherubim, right? It says It says that he came from above the expanse. They stood When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Verse 26, the shape of a throne with the appearance of a sapphire stone was above the expanse. There was a form with the appearance of a human on the throne high above. Now watch this in verse 27. You're going to see the same description. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber with what looked like fire enclosing it around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I saw, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. Kevin, does this not seem to be like the same individual? Well, and he even says that I was on the plane and I saw the same thing. So. Same illustration. So here you are, and you're going to see this even in 10, the same cherubim that he saw. So there's a, a lot of crossing over of this vision that he begins to see. So now when you go back to Ezekiel 8, this is what you begin to see. You're beginning to see the glory of God appearing in the temple. Okay, I think this is important to understand. I saw the glory of the God of Israel there, like the vision I had seen in the plain. Okay, so this is what he sees. Now when you go to verses 16 through 18, okay, you got to understand 
16 through 18, if you'll go there. So now in this process, okay, so in between all of this, you guys, he begins to describe all the pagan practices in the temple. So he sees the glory of God. And then what does he see? He says all the pagan illustrations. Okay. And then in 16, he, so he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. There are about 25 men at the entrance of the Lord's temple between the portico and the altar with their backs to the Lord's temple and their faces turned to the east. They were bowing to the east in the worship of the sun. Verse 17. And he said to me, do you see this son of man? Is it not enough for the house of Judah to commit the abominations they are practicing here that they must also fill the land with violence and repeatedly provoke me to anger, even putting the branch to their nose? Verse 18. Therefore, I will respond with wrath. I will not show pity or spare them. Though they cry out in my ears with a loud voice, I will not listen to them. This vision is important. Why? Because, Kevin, where is our friend Ezekiel before this vision comes? What, what country, what land, where is he? He's in Babylon, right? He's in Babylon, roughly near the, the rivers, at least, right? Somewhere in here in the areas of the Jewish settlements. So you have to understand, he is then what? I don't know how to put this. He's just, he's taken up, right? In between earth and the heaven. And then as he goes up, it's almost like when he's up in heaven, God gives him, now go back to, if you can, Kevin, then God gives him the purple map, if you can. He gives him the, the perspective of Jerusalem. Whether he actually came and stood over or whether he just, you know, was just taken up in heavens. Either way, he saw what was taking place in the temple. The glory of the Lord was there. But now he says, but look what your people are doing. And then he gets into Ezekiel 9. And this is an unbelievable picture. If you go to Ezekiel 9, this is kind of, then he says, he called me directly with a loud voice. Okay. He says, come near executioners of the city, each of you with a destructive weapon in his hand. He says in verse 2, And I saw six men. So six men are coming now in response to a loud voice saying, you are the destruction, guys. I need you to come and execute judgment. So six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a war club in his hand. There was another man among them clothed in linen with riding equipment at his side. They came and stood beside the bronze altar. Okay, now watch in verse three. So you have six men, angels coming to execute judgment. You get into verse three, then this is where it gets interesting. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherubim where it had been to the threshold of the temple. So the glory of God borderline is ready to leave, right? The temple. I mean, that's what you see. He says the glory of God came to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen with the writing equipment on his side. And then watch in verse four. Okay. The man with the writing equipment, okay? I don't know why I put it like a holster here. But he says, I need you to pass throughout the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord said to him, I need you to put a mark on the foreheads of of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations committed in it. Okay, so you have six angels coming to execute judgment, correct? But then you have, Kevin, a new person, quote unquote, if you go back to verse three, the son of man. Right. The son of man, uh, this man clothed in linen and he has writing equipment. This writing equipment is not to kill anybody. It's to save people. In verse four, look at this. This verse four, he says, I need you to go around, and put a mark on the foreheads of men who sigh and groan over all the abominations committed in it. Why is this really important? Well, a couple things. One is, is whoever he indicates uh, actually with the mark has a spirit of repentance, a spirit of uh, sorrow. They're mourning, they're grieving over all that their people have done in the temple. Kind of makes me think of the Passover, to be honest. You think about the spirit of death, what what was happening? The spirit of death went through, right? Right before uh, they were were released. 
And if you put blood on the doorposts, right, on the lentils and the, and the mantle, if you put blood, spirit of, of, of death would come, see that there is blood, and guess what? They're saved. So the Spirit of God would pass over those people because there was a marking. Now here you have it in Ezekiel. It's the same language. It's the same mentality of in Ezekiel. If you have a mark on your head, if you're grieving over sin, you will be saved. Now, I'm going to go all drastic here. If you go to Revelation 13, 16, it's a different type of marking, but I don't want to miss this. In Revelation 13, 16, here you have the enemy. And the enemy requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that nobody can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of his name. So it's the mark of the enemy. Okay, this is the opposite marking that we're talking about. But in the end, you will experience a mark if you are on the enemy side. But if you don't have the mark, you can't buy, you can't sell, and clearly you're with the Lord. Now, in this case, in Ezekiel and in Exodus, if you have the mark, you're saved. I just want to, I just, I think that's an incredible parallel that you can see here. Don't miss that. And so the remnant is to be saved, is to be uh, spared. When you get into verses five and on, I'm going back, if you don't mind, Kevin, Ezekiel nine. He said, he spoke as I listened, pass through the city after him and start killing. Do not show pity or spare them. So here you have six executioners going around looking. If you have a mark on your head, you're good. Verse six, slaughter the old men, the young men, the women, as well as the older men, and the little children. But do not come anybody who has the mark. Now begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were in front of the temple. So what bothered the Lord about all of this? is that they had defiled his sanctuary. They defiled his temple. So we're going right after the religious elders in front of the place that have turned away from the Lord. And in verse 7, it continues on. He says, Then he said to him, Defile the temple, fill the courts with the slain. Go, they went out and killing people in the city. It's almost like you fill the temple with the dead. While they were killing, I was left alone. This is Ezekiel. I fell face down and I cried out, Oh Lord God, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel when you pour out your wrath on Jerusalem? Verse 9, he answered, No, the iniquity... He doesn't say no, excuse me. He answered me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is extremely great. The land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity. For they say, the Lord has abandoned the land he does not see. Verse 10, he says, but as for me, I will not show pity or spare them. I will bring their actions down on their own heads. I think that's an interesting illustration. If you don't have the mark on their head, you, it will be on your head. Verse 11, then the man clothed in linen with the writing equipment at his side reported back, I have done as you commanded. So what does he say? I'm going out and I'm making sure that the people are saved. There's going to be a remnant. I mean, Kevin, all throughout these chapters, it's like destruction, 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 and a remnant. Destruction, 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 and a remnant. You know, there's going to be the, the budding rod. There's going to be the watchman. Oh, but there's going to be the business world that's not going to experience the rest or the jubilee. But there's going to be these doves that God spares. But they're going to have to flee, but yet God spares them. They have a mark, God spares them, but he's going to kill everybody else, the young and the old. Why? Because there is a consequence for our sin. And in the Old Testament, God took care of it. So, Kevin, here's the big question. On the timeline, where does this fit? You know, where does all of this fit? You know, well, I think we've done this enough, but you have this current situation, Ezekiel. Okay, so Ezekiel is, and I want to do this because I think this, this, it gets confusing. Let me just put it this way, okay? Here you have Ezekiel. Okay, he's hanging out. Okay, can I just tell you this? Roughly by the river. 
Okay, he's out by the canal. I don't know at that point. But we do know that he goes up into heaven. He goes up to a vision. And what does he do? He gets a vision of Jerusalem. And specifically the temple, which we know is God's sanctuary. Okay, so he gets a vision of Jerusalem. And what does he see? He sees a lot of this sin. And God says, look, I'm going to punish these people because of their sin. So here's what I need you to do. Okay, he says in Ezekiel 9, I need you to go find people. This is this is the son of the linen cloth. Let's just say I need you to put a mark on their heads. Okay, so just hang on here with me. Okay, I think this is kind of an interesting way to do this. Okay, if there's no mark, the angels, the six executioners, okay, six angels come in and what do they do? They kill him. Okay, this is what's taking place. So now, when is this actually happening? This little drama that we just read, when is this actually happening? Okay, now let's just say this. Here you have the first coming, okay? The coming of Christ that has not happened yet in, in Ezekiel's time, okay? So in his mind, Ezekiel is painting a picture very simply. I would say, let's just say 586 B.C., okay? And judgment is coming to Jerusalem. Okay, now let's just say, humor me, first coming of Christ takes place, okay? So here you have AD 0 to, let's say, 33. Okay, there you have it. Now what you have is, let's just do another timeline here, okay, all the way to here. We know that eventually, AD 70, what happens, Kevin? Uh, the second temple is destroyed. Okay, the second temple is destroyed. Okay, so the first temple is destroyed in 586 as well. We know that he's not probably talking about this one. Okay? It could be. could be the case, or it could be. So my point is, is that in this story, okay, this is an option that Ezekiel's talking about. This is actually an option. Right? That practically, they're mourning over the temple of all the things that have happened, Romans come in. Or, here's the crazier part, okay? Uh, let's say this right here is the second coming. Well, here's where it gets interesting, you guys. The second coming of Christ is here. But right before he comes, hang on here with me, is a tribulation. Okay? You have, what, three and a half years here. Here you have three and a half years as well. Correct? Okay. Here's where it gets interesting to me. If you go to Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12.10. Just humor me for a second here. Okay? More likely, yes, he's talking about the first coming. Or, I'm sorry, the first temple being destroyed. But then when you go to Zechariah 12, 10, uh, look, what, look what the scripture says. He says, Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer in the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. This is Zechariah the prophet. And they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for only a child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. So there's a really good chance that Zechariah's word or Ezekiel's words are a prophetic picture of the end times. Simply for the fact that here you have a group of people mourning over the fact of the sin that they killed the Messiah. You get that? Does that make sense? And so here it is. It's, it's a really cool picture of maybe the mourning, yes, will then, yes, actually enter in the return of Christ. Is Ezekiel talking about the first temple and all that the Jerusalem's going to experience? Probably yes. Can it be more? Can it be about the period of tribulation right before Christ come back? Yes. 
because there might be only a few that remain during the tribulation that God spares because of his grace and his prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And then they will actually cry out to the Lord. It's a picture here to me that judgment is coming to the people in those seven years during the tribulation. Yes, and God will spare a remnant and that remnant will cry out to the Lord. And then, then what does that mean? It means that he comes back. Is he talking about the morning that's during the first temple or the return of Christ? I would say yes. Realistically, all the people cared at that time was, God, are you going to spare me in this time? So here you have uh, here you have Ezekiel 8 and Ezekiel 9. All right, guys, before we move on to Ezekiel 10, anything we missed on all this? I'm sure there is. Hmm. Okay, great. <laughs> all right, so this is the picture. Okay, so Kevin, he is still being taken up, correct? He's still floating around in third heaven. He's overlooking the temple. Took him by his hair. Right? Yeah, pulled him by his hair. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know? Yes, he pulls him up. So obviously he's grown back since he shaved it. Okay? So there you have a little bit of a time frame. (laughs) And then here you have, in verses 1 through 8, God showing Ezekiel, okay, that he's preparing. And I like what Tom Constable says. He's preparing to judge the city. The city is still Jerusalem. Because, Kevin, at this point, Jerusalem still, according to Ezekiel, still hasn't experienced the wrath of God. Why? Because they, they fell into sin. Then he says, Then I looked, and there above the expanse, verse 1, over the heads of the cherubim was something like sapphire stone, stone resembling the shape of a throne that appeared above them. Again, this cherubim, mentality of the same living creatures, you guys, in Ezekiel 1. Now watch this, okay? You have to understand something. This, this cherubim, this, this throne mentality, um, well, let's just go to verse 2. The Lord spoke to the man clothed in linen. And here's what he said. Okay, so the Lord spoke to the man clothed in linen. So he's talking specifically to this man. Go inside the wheelwork beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with hot coals. So here, this is, this is an unbelievable picture. The man in linen is to go, take his hands, fill them with hot coals from among the cherubim. And then what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to scatter them over the city. What do you think that's an image of? You guys got any thoughts? If you've if you got a guy with linen and he's throwing hot coals all over the city, what is he already prophesying? Any thoughts? I mean, is it fire and brimstone? Yeah, fire and judgment. What's interesting about these coals, when I think of coal, and I've, I've kind of just, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about coal. In Isaiah 6, coal is very, it's an awesome picture. Remember when Isaiah, remember that the angel comes and he puts the, the coal on his lips? It's, it's for purification. Isaiah 6 uses coal for purification. Here, these hot coals are not meant for purification, Kevin. He's not trying to purify the people. He's actually trying to bring about destruction of the wicked. He's done. I'm done with exactly, uh, and just so you know, fire did destroy Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So here you have a prophetic picture that Ezekiel sees, and he hears about a man in linen, linen, and he says, I I need you to start scattering (laughs) the coals. Now it says in verse 3, and back in Ezekiel 10, Now the cherubim were standing to the south of the temple when the man went in. And the cloud filled the inner court. This is the glory of God. When we talk about the cloud, this is the glory of God, and he filled the inner court, okay? Then he says in verse 4, Now these, many would say, these cherubim are different than the cherubim in Ezekiel 1. Okay, just kind of a couple illustrations here. Verse 4 says, here's what I need you to do. Then, uh, Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim to the threshold of the temple. 
The temple was filled with the cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. So here you have you guys. I mean, the glory is filling the temple of God for the last time. The last time the presence of God, the glory of God is going to actually fill up. Yes, the inner court It's going to actually explain what was first described in Ezekiel 9.3. So here you have the glory of God. Who's seeing this? Ezekiel. Where is Ezekiel? He's up in, quote unquote, the third heavens. Okay, he's experiencing the cherubim. He's experiencing the son of man. The son of man is in linen and in linen. He's now taking hot coals. He's throwing them over everything. And at the same time that is taking place, then the glory of the Lord rises above the cherub. Okay, goes to the threshold of the temple. And now the temple is filled with the presence of God. Says in verse five, the sound of the cherubim's wings could be heard as far as the outer court. It was like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. Scripture continues on in verse six. It says, after the Lord commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, take fire from the inside the wheelwork. Remember that we talked about the wheelwork is is an implication of judgment. To take fire from inside the wheelwork from among the cherubim. The man went in, stood beside a wheel. Okay. then he says in verse seven, then the cherub reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took some, meaning fire, and put into the hands of the man clothed in linen who took it and went out. So one of the four cherubim, okay, probably from Ezekiel 1, puts the fiery coals into this man's hands. Says in verse 8, then, okay, this is, it's, okay, remember we had, we just talked about preparations for destruction upon Jerusalem, right? Like this is what's going to happen in the city. Now what you're going to start seeing is, is that there's preparations and, and MacArthur says it well. So does Tom Constable. You're going to see preparations that God's going to depart the temple now. So destruction's coming to Jerusalem. And now he says God's going to leave the temple. Quite a picture, Kevin. Just I'm clarifying. These are similar cherubim from... They are. Uh, many would say yes, with the exception of when you get into verse three, some of them were not. When they're standing to the south of the temple, those might not be the ones that are the cherubim with the wheels, but the other ones are. Might. They don't know. Yeah. Now watch this, okay? In verse nine, I looked and there are four wheels, right? Beside the cherubim. One wheel beside each cherub. The luster of the wheels was like the glean, gleam of barrel. In appearance, all four had the same form like a wheel within a wheel. Okay, so remember, God's preparing to what? To leave the temple. We've already talked about God getting ready to destroy Jerusalem. Now he's talking about the temple. In verses 9 through 14, it's this language of the wheels, just like what we talked about in Ezekiel 1. It says, when they moved, they would go in any of the four directions without pivoting as they moved. That's that same language, right? But wherever the head faced, they would go in that direction without pivoting as they went. Their entire bodies, their backs, hands, wings, and wheels that the four of them had were full of eyes all around. And as I listened, the wheels were called the wheelwork. Okay, keep going to verse 14. Each one of had four faces. The first face was that of a cherub. Okay, I'll come back to this in a second. The second, that of a man. The third, of a lion. And the fourth, that of an eagle. Kevin, the only difference that we see here was... The word cherub is no longer what's used as like an ox, like we had in the previous. Everything else lines up. The second of a man, third of a lion, the fourth of an eagle. Is this and does this say, well, that's not probably that? No, he could just be saying, I, they use the generic term cherub. He could just be using the generic term cherub, cherub, maybe, maybe not. But either way, many people would say these are the four. 
Now it says in verse 15, here's what they're doing. The cherubim ascended. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Chabar Canal. So what does Ezekiel do? He confirms this is what I saw. Yeah, I know I said cherub. It's okay. It's the same. (laughs) These are the same. When the cherubim moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when they lifted their wings to rise from the earth, even, even then the wheels did not veer away from them. So the wheels were always with them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels stood still. When they ascended, the wheels ascended with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Here's where you get into verse 18, and here's where it gets pretty big. It says, And the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple and stood above the cherubim. At this point, okay, many people would say there's several stages that took place. Let me back up as we get to this point now, okay? This is kind of interesting, okay? In Ezekiel 8.4, Kevin, if you can, we're going to try to do this fast, okay? In Ezekiel 8.4, okay, Ezekiel 8.4 says, this is talking about God's glory in the temple, and he views what? Idolatry practices in 592 B.C. So the glory of the Lord sees, Kevin, all of the idolatry that's taking place in Ezekiel 8, okay? But the glory of the Lord is there. When you go to Ezekiel 9, verse 3, okay? Then what happens is the glory of God moves from the cherub to where? To the threshold of the temple. Okay, if you go to our map here, okay, uh, of the temple. This is the first temple, okay? This is the image, okay? Solomon's temple because it hasn't been torn down yet, right? That we know of. So when you think of threshold, okay, all I would just say is, Rich, you think of what? Think of the door of the entrance to the... To the temple. That's it. Just the door of the entrance. Like, don't make it harder than what it is. So he's at the door. I think that's key that you have to understand something. Why is that key that he's at the door? Because he's ready to leave. Now, I want you to go to Ezekiel 10, verse 18, where we're at today. So now here you have the glory of God moves from the threshold of the temple. And then what does he do? He stands above the cherubim, which is different, Kevin, than what you're talking about in Ezekiel 8. He has now left, quote unquote, the building. It goes into verse 19 as well. It says, the cherubim lifted their wings, ascended from the earth right before my eyes. The wheels were beside them as they went. The glory of the God of Israel was above them, and it stood at the entrance to the eastern gate of the Lord's house. He is no longer in the temple. Kind of a, kind of a crazy picture, isn't it? So it goes from the cherub in the temple to, out, to the ones that, that are, are above, moving and bringing judgment. Yep. But here's what's cool, you guys. Go to Ezekiel 43, 2 through, two through, two through 9. Excuse me. Ezekiel 43, 2 through 9. So you see, this this is what he's seeing this whole time. In Ezekiel 43, it says this, And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. Kevin, where was he standing? On the east. His voice sounding like the roar of mighty waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Now, if you go, well, man, it keeps going. Uh, In verse 3, The vision I saw was like the one I had seen where he came to destroy the city, like the ones I had seen by the Chabar Canal. I fell face down. Keep going. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by the way of the gate that faced east. So what had happened? He left. He's gone. Now at the end of Ezekiel, what is he saying? He's he's coming back. Then the spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse six, while the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from the temple. He said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel and their kings will no longer defile my holy name by the religious prostitution, by the corpses of their kings at their higher places. Keep going, Kevin. Whenever they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them, they were defiling my holy name by the abominations they committed. So I destroyed them in anger. Verse 9. Now let them remove their prostitution and the corpses of the kings far from me, and I will dwell among them forever. Please go to Isaiah 44.4. This is how I'll close. Isaiah 44.4. You guys... 
This is no longer a picture of 586. This is no longer a picture, you guys, of 8070 or the tribulation. You guys, this is a picture. This is such a cool picture of the millennium. He's coming back into the third temple. And Isaiah 44, 4 says, they'll sprout among the grass like poplars by the stream beds. You know what that means? You know what we're talking about? We're talking about, you got, he's going to restore his people back to how they originally were. And here's what's crazy. Remember he said he was going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to destroy the temple. And now, Kevin, here you have the glory of God coming back into the temple and his people are being restored. And only this happens through the new David, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ himself. Wow. We didn't even really get to the rest of this, but I'll just tell you this. This is a process of the glory of the Lord. And yes, he prophesies. God is leaving Jerusalem, but he's he's coming back. He's coming back through the Messiah when all of this gets fulfilled. All right, guys, have a great day. Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10. We'll talk about more of this tomorrow. Thanks. 